Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast, formerly known as the Healthier Together Podcast. We are the same podcast, but with even more of everything you love. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning tips for avoiding burnout and what real self-care looks like, how to become more confident and charismatic, or how to know if you have ADHD and exactly what to do if you do. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. We are back today with another advice episode where every single month I'm joined by very special guests and we answer all of your questions. If you haven't listened to the last one with Robin Arzon, it is so good. We dive deep into motivation, finding your passions, motherhood, and more. You can always send any questions that you want answered to ask at lizmoody.com, or I'll be taking questions on Instagram the last week or so of every month, so be on the lookout for that. I am so excited to welcome Remy Casimir and Emily Lubin to the podcast today. They are the stellar stand-up comedians and co-hosts of the amazing Betches Media podcast, Diet Starts Tomorrow, which dives into the emotional side of well-being and aims to shatter any toxic beliefs that make women feel bad about themselves. I was actually on their podcast on the October 14th episode called Self-Care But Make It Science, and it is jam-packed with fun stories, little tips and tricks on things like how to make friends as an adult, the connection between caffeine and anxiety, communicating effectively with partners, changing our self-talk, and so much more. So I highly recommend checking it out after you finish today's episode. On this advice episode, we're going to dive into all of your questions about sex and dating, including how to know what you want in bed and exactly how to communicate that to your partner without hurting their feelings, an action plan for finding your orgasm, the two things everyone should try in bed, how to get over embarrassment around awkward sex moments, how to live life on your own timelines and ignore society's expectations, including why I wish Zach and I had gotten married later. You'll get the whole story there. The best way to support a partner through rough patches, how to initiate sex with your partner, even if it feels awkward, and so much more. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, your hot takes on our advice. So definitely screenshot and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody. Remy is at Remy Casimir. And Emily is at Lubination. And you can also tag at Diet Starts Tomorrow. Also, I feel like this is obvious by this point, but this episode clearly talks about sex. So, you know, consider that when you are playing it out loud, if there's anyone around that you do not want to hear or anyone that you do want to hear. You know, I love, love, love playing podcasts out loud and being like, oh, wow, did you happen to overhear that as a way to start conversations? Also, 100 Ways to Change Your Life is officially a USA Today bestseller, and it is all because of you. Thank you so much to every single person who's bought this book, who's bought multiple copies to gift, who's come out to my events, who sent me pictures of chapters that they're loving. It feels so, so cool to have this out in the world, and I am so glad that you are all adoring it. If you love this episode, you will definitely love the how to uplevel your long-term relationships section of the book. So if you haven't yet, head to 100waystochangeyourlife.com to order your copy. That is 100-100-ways-to-change-your-life.com. Okay, let's get right into it with Remy and Emily. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to chat with you and answer all these advice questions. Thank you for having us. Thank you for We're having so pumped. us. Okay, so I want to start off. We'll get into the advice in a second. But what's your guys' relationship? Like, how did you meet? 
How did the friendship happen? Are you guys co-hosts? Are you friends too? What's the story behind that? So we met mostly through comedy and podcasting. I started podcasting a few years after Emily. I started a podcast called How Come because I wanted to learn how to have an orgasm. And Emily came on that podcast really, really early with our friend Andrea Allen and we had one of the best times I've ever had on an episode. And then gleeful. Yeah. I left your apartment feeling so happy and free. Yeah. The episode <laughs> is called it. Dirty Girl Privilege. And we are less dirty girls than we were then. But yeah, Emily and I connected because we were having tough time showering and all that stuff. And then a few years later, Emily started her other podcast called RIP Diets. And that was about unlearning diet culture and all that stuff. And I've struggled with some things that we've spoken about on our podcast, Now Diet Starts Tomorrow. And yeah, we've just been podcasting ever since. Yeah, but work friends who then became real friends. Yeah, I love that. Do you think there's a connection between diet culture and inability to orgasm? A hundred percent. Okay, tell me yeah, about that. If you don't feel like your body is good enough in general, and also I think a lot of what I had presumed about sex in general too was that my body wasn't for me it was for other people's enjoyment so a guy could get his nut or that a guy could like me or it wasn't about masturbating and having all of the great chemical reactions that happen with that it wasn't about self-love it was about other people and their perception of me which is the same thing with diet culture that I've always felt like my body is for looking at, not for living, which you are very good at describing that. Nope, it's the opposite. And so, yeah, I had to unlearn a lot of those things just to put myself first to begin with. I kind of blame porn because we grew up in the age of you can just go on the Internet and you can see porn. And that's not always what sex actually looks like. Man-made like porn. Man-made porn. That's with, a good with distinction. With a male perspective because there is a lot of porn now that's made by women or there's made by non-binary people or it's made with the intention of both people are getting off. Whereas the entire industry was just like, what do guys want to see? Well, and both people are getting off and not in two minutes. I have so yeah. many yeah. girlfriends who even their partner is confused when it takes them like 15, 20 mm -hmm. minutes to have an orgasm. I believe the average, you might know this better than me, but I think it's like 15 to 20 it's minutes. 15 to 20. Yeah. And that's why the orgasm gap is so large between heterosexual couples because they're on completely different time schedules. Whereas if you look at gay men and gay women, they're both getting off all the time. It's not like a woman's issue. It's not a vulval issue. It's is that person willing to take the amount of time that you require or do they take a nap after they're done? I think that the 20-minute orgasm needs a PR campaign. Yeah, Just because totally. so many of the heterosexual men that I know, they're not even trying to be mean about it. They just have this idea in their head that it should be happening so much quicker. They sometimes even have self-flagellation where they're like, am I doing something mm -hmm. wrong? Is something wrong with me? And then so many of the heterosexual women that I know think there's something wrong with them because they can't orgasm in two minutes the yeah. second that they're penetrated. And there are the lucky few, that's 8 to 25% of people with vulvas can come from internal penetration alone, but the rest of us require some external stimulation. And that was a thing that was completely lost on me or I just thought was a myth was the clit. And now I'm you like- You thought the clit was a myth? I was just like, I mean, <laughs> it's not that great. It's just kind of there. But it's like, no, it's kind of everything. Do you know Sex with Emily? Yeah. Emily oh, yeah. yeah. She was like explaining how far back internally it went and actually how if you're 
doing things to your vaginal lips, the clit is behind that. And yeah, so you can simulate the clit via that. And I didn't, I thought I was educated. Back. Yeah, no. And it sits on the vaginal opening and some people's clits sit a little further and some sit right next to it. And that's why they can come from penetrative sex is because the clit is right there while penetration's happening. Yeah. That is and such so it's an, just an anatomy thing. Most orgasms technically are clitoral. It's just external or internal. That's crazy that we're not taught that I know. in school. You know, but it's there just... wasn't the research for such a long time. Right. Because we study men's bodies. But also the clit is a little penis. Same embryonic tissue, same developmental stuff while you're being grown in your mom's stomach. Mm-hmm. So do you have an orgasm every single time you have sex now? No. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'm in a six-month orgasm drought at the moment. I was having a very fun time for the last five years, and it's kind of like someone has turned the water off, and I'm trying to get it back. And Emily and I have spoken about this, that some people have been like, oh, exercise could be a really good way to get back into your body. And I was like, been hating exercise this whole time. But I'm like, if it gets the O back, let's go. Yeah. Do you feel like something changed in that time period? Like, was it one day you were good and the next day you weren't good? Or what was the progression of that? It coincided with a deep depression that I had this year. My mental stability was not there. So my orgasm stability went out the window. So often we don't connect our mental health to our sex life or the other components of Mm -hmm. our life to our sex life. Libido is so connected to our physical selves, to what's going on in our work. It's crazy to just expect that you can have an insanely busy hard day and then go home and turn it on. Yeah. And some people can, right? Like it is possible for some people, but it all goes back to your original question, which is like, how do these things correlate? How you feel about yourself obviously is going to correlate to your sex life. I relate to Remy in that I did always think that sex was for the man. When I was deep in my eating disorder, I just never, ever felt good about myself. So how was I going to feel satisfied? Yeah. And if I'm depressed and I'm telling myself all day that I'm not shit and I don't deserve anything, then how is my body going to react to that? If somebody is not having orgasms or they don't feel fulfilled by their sex life, is there a place that you would have them begin to start to untangle all of these different factors? Unfortunately, I have to plug how come and say start from season one, episode one, and go through the assignments that I went through that people gave me on the podcast because some of it is just as simple as dedicating 30 minutes to yourself and getting comfortable with that amount of time being for you. And then some of it is toys and some of it is classes. But I think it is unlearning a lot of the things that we've been taught or that we think sex is for. And we do that in those episodes. Can you give us one of your favorite tips for leveling up your sex life? Make it intentional when you're about to masturbate or when you're about to have sex with someone. I think one of the issues of my orgasm drought right now is that I became kind of like addicted to this one sex toy. And I would start doing it when I was anxious or start doing it when I was procrastinating. Not when I was really feeling sexy or had any intention of being sexy. So I'm kind of going back to the start too right now and being like, okay, we have to set the scene. And I'm going to allow myself an hour of time to be alone. And I'm going to make sure I'm in a place where no one's going to walk in on me. And I'm going to play music for myself. I'm going to light candles. And I'm going to kind of romance myself in the way that, like, you don't need another person there. You can 
touch your own body. You should touch your own body. Like your butt is not just for other people to grab. It's for you to grab. And so just knowing that you deserve this pleasure and then just setting the stage for it. For people who don't know, are you in a relationship actively right now? I am. We've been together for like eight years. And how does this orgasm struggle impact your relationship? Oh, he's so sad about it. He really wants to help and he does his best. But I always say that you can't expect somebody else to do for you what you can't do for yourself, especially when it comes to orgasms. And that's why in the beginning of it, people will be like, oh, my God, you're coming out with this podcast that you haven't come. Like, is that so embarrassing for Ben? And I'm like, no, because I knew myself for 25 years before he knew me. So it was something that I wasn't doing yet. I always say it's like handing somebody a nine sided Rubik's Cube and being like, hey, figure this out. No one's ever done it. Also, you're naked. Like, it's like a huge pressure. So he is just very patient. He wants them to happen, which is just a nice thing that not every partner that I've had has been like, oh, it's important for me that you do this too. But it's also like he's not pressuring it at all. He has no ego in it. He doesn't think that, oh, I'm doing something wrong. It's like, no, Remy's having a moment and I can help her in the ways that I can help her. And he's kind of been focusing on the depression aspect of it. He takes me for walks. He makes sure I get out of the house. We go look at cute animals together, like stuff to just make my daily life good so that if we are to have sex and we still do have sex, like that part is still enjoyable and fun, but it's just the fun of it, not the expectation. To the Rubik's Cube point, I do think that's why communication around sex is so important. I remember I used to go out with to brunch with my friends when I was like in college and we would talk about if we had hooked up with somebody the night before and they'd either be good in bed or bad in bed. And we would sex talk in about the city that. vibes. Yeah. We were watching Sex in the City. We were intentionally emulating Sex in the City. <laughs> you kicked um, out the fifth girl of your group because you were like, it's not four. It's not four. four is enough. I'm the only writer, guys. <laughs> um, no. So as I've gotten older, I've realized there's literally no such thing as universally good or universally bad and bad. No. There's just knowing what your partner needs and being willing to explore yeah. and try to make your partner feel pleasure and try to make yourself feel pleasure. And communication is so fundamentally at yeah. the core of that. And also our needs and wants and desires in bed change over time. So that communication needs to be a constant process. Yeah. I mean, and it's on one person. If you see that your person's not having a good time, ask, you know, is this good? Is there anything else I could do? But it's also on the person who's not having the good time. There were so many times that I would never speak up because I was like, I just want it to be over with and I want them to have a good time and it doesn't matter. If your person actually cares about you, they want you to be having fun and they want to be able to improve themselves for you. I absolutely love a low-lift daily habit that has a big payoff over time. It's why I am always asking podcast guests for little hacks and tips that we can all do easily to live a better life without sacrificing a ton of time or energy. And that's why I love AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I know there are a lot of people who wonder if AG1 is overhyped because so many people talk about it, but in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. 
I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day, no matter how the rest of the day goes, especially for gut health and immune support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. You can also mix it into juice or a smoothie, but I genuinely love the taste, so I go with water. And boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in from that one-minute habit in your day. I'm always trying to eat veggie-packed, nutritionally-dense meals, but I am not perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, and adaptogens to cover the bases. I love how it gives me some gentle energy right after I drink it without any jitters so it doesn't stoke my anxiety like caffeine. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it is not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary to name just a few. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything, and they are third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a one-year supply of their amazing vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. I am so, so excited to share this brand with you. I started trying Osmia because Zach and I were nomading in Carbondale and everyone was like, oh, the founder of Osmia lives there. You should hang out with her. So I DM'd her and we hung out and I was blown away by how brilliant she was and how absolutely incredible her products were. After a decade in emergency medicine, Dr. Sarah Villafranco founded Osmia to help people discover healthier, happier skin. Sound familiar? Without the use of parabens, phthalates, petrochemicals, sulfates, ethoxylates, synthetic fragrance, or artificial colors. But the products do not sacrifice at all when it comes to efficacy. Sarah is utilizing a deep understanding of science and of the whole health of our body, like how our skin interacts with our gut and our hormones to create the most beautiful and lovely to use products. I'm going to call out a few of my favorites. I told Sarah that my skin was so dry in the Colorado climate and I needed help, and she introduced me to two products that have become my absolute heroes. The Lip Repair Overnight Mask is literally exactly like the viral Laneige lip sleeping mask, but with way better ingredients, which is so important because you are literally eating it all night. It completely healed my dry cracked lips and it made them buttery soft and I just cannot recommend it enough. Then the Nectar Nourishing Drops are like magic in a bottle and a total favorite. Oils can be hard to penetrate skin on their own, but the secret with these is that you mix them into a moisturizer. You can use any moisturizer, but I love the Osmia Purely Simple Face Cream, and then it turns that moisturizer into the most luxurious, super-powered hydrator in the world. It's calming. It's so moisturizing. I've just never had my skin feel like this. And because you only use a few drops each time, it lasts forever. Sarah is also famous for creating products that help with perioral dermatitis or when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. So I highly recommend checking out that area of her site. If you deal with those, you can search by skin type. And then finally, I want to shout out the Bar Soap, which is her first product and what she got famous for. 
Besides being eco-friendly because you're skipping all the packaging, the ingredients in these soaps are amazing. They make your skin feel so good and they smell so good. My two favorites are Coffee Mint, which is part of their core soap collection, and Amber Sun, which is a seasonal soap. They have a seasonal collection called the Craft Series in the featured section of the website, and they release super special soaps, body oils, and body mousses for every season, so definitely check those out. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. You need to try the lip repair mask. Trust me. So add that to your cart right away. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. And you say your partner doesn't have a lot of ego involved in this. I think a lot of people struggle with that ego damage to their partner. I'm Mm -hmm. curious if either of you have any advice for having this be a conversation that doesn't feel scary, that doesn't feel wounding to somebody's ego. The number one thing, and this is kind of relating to what Remy said, is you have to know yourself because you're right that communication is so important. When somebody's let's say, going down on you to be able to tell them what you like. But if you don't know what you like, then you're not going to be able to do that. Speaking from personal experience, I would just resort to like using a sex toy Mm -hmm. or something. And that would get me off. But to learn together is the most valuable thing, is noticing what you like and then being able to kind of mimic that back. I have two things too. The first one is, again, getting comfortable with communicating in general. It is really hard, especially for women who have been told don't speak up or, you know, like don't even raise your hand in class. Nobody wants to hear from you. Learning how to ask for what you want. And I always say start it with either a back rub or a back tickle. Hmm. Right. How nice. Because like when somebody's tickling your back, you could either just like let them do it or you could say to the left, lower, Hmm. harder, to the right, to the right, to the right. And eventually they get that spot. And so then you get comfortable with instructing. And then I think you've had Emily Morse on a few times. She talks about the compliment sandwich. While you're not in bed sometimes, it could be in bed too, but if you're not comfortable in the moment speaking up yet, maybe after when you're you know having dinner or something like that, you say, hey, and you give them a compliment and then you say the thing that you need and then another compliment. Hey, I really like it when you go down on me. When you are doing that, could you stay down there a little longer? And could you also suck my thighs? There's something about being teased around the area before you go straight to the clit that like it really excites me and it like builds up the momentum. And then another compliment of because having sex with you, it's just so hot. And I think that this would really ramp it up. I love that. I also think that podcasts and books can be such good resources because you can read Emily's book. You can Mm -hmm. listen to your guys' podcast and be like, oh, I heard this thing. Would you be interested in trying this? And then it makes it feel like a team effort rather than something that – and also we don't often know what we want. Like maybe I'd like my thighs sucked, but I don't know I'd like my thighs sucked because I've never had my thighs sucked. Mm -hmm. There's a a website called weshouldtryit.com. It's more on the kinky side, but you both take a test and it's like – what you're not down for, what you are down for, and what you'd be willing to do if the other person was down for it. And then it puts it together so that you can try that. I love that. Can you both tell the listeners one thing they should try? Yeah, totally. I feel like this one's kind of hack. People say this a lot, but I think it's hot. Pretend like you're strangers. (laughs) 
So like if you're out in a public place, you're having a date night or something, you can either put on a role or just be yourselves. Pretend like you don't know each other. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I'm in a four year relationship, which is not that long. But I think like at at this point, it is starting to be like not as exciting. Yeah. Right. So finding ways to kind of garner that excitement is the whole point. Cause like, that's what I'm craving is excitement. So maybe having a date night and pretending like we don't know each other, we're meeting for the first time, or maybe I'm a foreign exchange student or something. It sounds cheesy, but I really think it's a fun thing to like try. Like modern family Valentine's yes. Day episode with yes. Clive. <laughs> yeah. And he's like a spy or yeah. something. Yeah. I want to get yours in a second, but I have follow-up questions about that. Did you have to get over an initial hump of feeling awkward or embarrassed the first time that you tried this? Yeah, it's super embarrassing. How did you get over that? (laughs) I'm a big fan of like, just do it. If you have trust in your relationship, you can do silly things together and just do it for the fun of it. And if it turns out being a disaster, which it might, it'll still be a good story. And that's like a fun experience that you can have together. Maybe it didn't end in the hottest sex of your life, but it's a good story and you'll be able to look back on it and laugh. I would also say do it more than once. Do you know Vanessa and Xander Marin? Yes. She's a sex therapist and he calls himself a regular dude. They're married and they both give takes on different sexual situations and amazing advice. And they have a thing called the first pancake rule. And that's the idea that when you make pancakes, the first pancake is always kind of wonky. Yes, it's the worst. going and you make more pancakes and then they're beautiful. They're golden brown. They're so Mm -hmm. delicious. So when you do a new sex thing, the first time you do it, it's kind of often going to be a little bit wonky. Yeah. If you keep doing it, then you can find your rhythm, find your groove, and it might be the most delicious pancakes you've ever eaten. So if it feels awkward the first time that you sidle up to your partner at a bar and you're like, where are you from? How fancy meeting you here. Then do it again. Do it another time. Try it at least twice. Yeah. Ben and I need to make a second pancake in that front because we tried it once and I was like, ugh, this guy's a loser. (laughs) (laughs) No second date for this D-bag. What is your, you should try this? Okay, my you should try this is full body kisses. Another difficulty that I had with sex was thinking that my vulva was just a completely different part of my body. This is a thing that is like, oh my God, it's so private and it's not connected to me at all. And then in one of my first assignments, I got a tantric massage. And that is when they touch you everywhere. And the thing that I learned from that was that like, oh, my body is just this one thing and my vulva is just part of that body. And it made me feel like way more whole in touch with the whole thing. And so I usually will ask Ben, like, kiss the whole thing, kiss the legs, kiss the arms, kiss my back of the neck, you know, like all of it so that it all feels like it's got equal attention and that like, he's not just there for that one thing. I absolutely love that. I've never considered how the societal shame that we place around our genitals can serve to disconnect us from those parts of our bodies. I've considered all these other negative effects of that, obviously, but it's really interesting that it would essentially silo you from this part of your body. That's crazy. Yeah, it feels like a different part, especially when they're approaching it too quickly. You're like, oh my God, you're there already. Whereas if they touched your elbow, it wouldn't be like, oh my God, you're there already. It has to feel like just more of you. Mm, I love that. Okay. Listener question about sex. And maybe the kissing all over would count towards this. But what are some tried and true varied ways to turn you and your partner on before you get to oral or hand foreplay? 
So like foreplay throughout the day. Talking about what you're going to do later. If one person is on their way to work or my boyfriend goes to school, if he's on his way to class or something, then I'd be like, can we come in the bedroom and like lock the door later? I won't even be too explicit about it. I'll just be like, can we leave the dog in the living room later and just like have private time or whatever? And then that gets him excited. And then I get excited thinking about him sitting in class thinking about it. So then that becomes the I foreplay. I gave him a boner at school. I, yeah. I, I <laughs> That's my goal every yeah. day is just like, how can I give this man a boner in class? Yeah, I think mine would be less sexual even. It's like, what do you do for your partner throughout the day that is non-sexual and has no like expectations or anything? Like Ben cooks for me. He'll take me on walks. We do fun stuff together that he's just like, this will improve your life. And it's just showing care in different ways. And then once you get into the bedroom, it's like, oh, you've already cared so much about me. And massages, dual massages. We set a timer. I don't know if everybody does this, but we do seven minutes each of... Which that's a long time. Seven like, minutes you don't, in heaven. Yeah, seven minutes in heaven. But like, you don't think that's a long time, but if you actually start giving someone a massage, you start to feel done at like two minutes. It's a mm-hmm. long time if you're giving. It's not a long time if you're receiving. Yeah, no, it's yes. zero so minutes if you're receiving. Yeah. yeah, but I was like, could I actually do half scratches, half massage. And he was like, that's new. And then we banged. Nice. (laughs) I love that. I love your take on it too. I think they're both great advice, but you are highlighting that foreplay doesn't have to just be about sexual stuff either. And setting boundaries at work can be like a type of foreplay. Sharing the mental load around your house can be a type of foreplay. Doing things so that your mental and physical energy are there when it comes to giving yourself and your partner sexual pleasure is a type of foreplay that I think is really under-discussed. Mm-hmm. And that's what you should tell your partner. Cleaning is foreplay. Oh, my God. No, the nicest thing that I do sometimes is show up at his house and he's made the bed and there's flowers and yeah. he's done a little eucalyptus spray or whatever. And I'm like, oh, thank. Like you did something that I really like and I didn't have to ask for. And I do things for him too, just so everybody knows. The other day he needed to do some editing and I did most of the work. And then that night he was like, wait, you're not sleeping over? I was like, yeah, you want it. (laughs) So you guys don't live together? No. Why is that? We have lived together before. He lives in Jersey and I do stand up and the bus schedule is so irregular that I started skipping my stand up nights all the time just because I was like, whatever, this isn't going to work out. So I mostly still live with my dad because he lives in the city and why not? But we spend a lot of time together. If I don't have any nights that I need to be in the city, I'll be at his house. I have to ask because this combined with I have a podcast about sex and people are like, oh, what does your boyfriend think of that? Blah, blah, blah. It seems like you're really good at not having your life or your choices dictated by shoulds. And a lot of people struggle (sighs) with that. And I'm curious if you have any advice, if either of you have any advice for like really staying true to what you want, whether it's not living with your partner when everybody's like, you should be living together. You should be engaged by now. How do you free yourself from the shoulds? I do have those thoughts a lot of days. I should have kids by now. We should be living together. I should be doing better in my career. But then I think of the things that actually make me comfortable in the day to day. 
do I want to be blowing all of my money on rent in the city or is it kind of smart to save up and live with my dad? That keeps me kind of grounded in that. Also, I look at divorce rates and <laughs> and I think about the thing that does keep us together is that we like each other. There is no paperwork. So I kind of take enjoyment out of that, that I'm like, oh, no, we're just deciding every day to keep being together. There are a lot of mornings, especially scrolling on Instagram. If I see people and their full families and stuff, I have to go, oh, my God, that would be so nice. And then I go, but you don't want to be raising a child right now. And you know that there is still opportunity in the future. And you know that you will be a better parent when you do it when you're ready. So it's more of like the rational stuff. The irrational is the should. And then the rational brings you back. Mm. Do you have any advice? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in agreement with Remy. I felt a similar way. And Remy and Ben have been together for eight years. I have even felt like this like as little as six months ago when I felt like a lot of people in my life who had only been together like a year and a half or two years, they were getting engaged. And I started kind of having a little bit of a freak out about it. I am not firm in wanting to be engaged right now, but looking around, it's like, do these people love each other more? Do they have their shit together more than I do? Like, should we be engaged by now? Should we be getting our life started? And I really was kind of spinning out about it. And I had to bring myself back down to earth with that same thinking of like, but wait a second, remove all of that outside noise. Do you feel like you need to be married right now? No, I don't. Do you want to plan a wedding? That's a huge thing for me that I'm like, absolutely not. I don't. And with the kids stuff, a lot of it is age pressure. A lot of it is people telling me, you know, you're 33, you better have kids soon or freeze your eggs. And that's starting to happen more and more and more. But when I really tune into like, okay, but what do I actually feel ready for? There's other things that I want to do and other things that we want to accomplish together before taking that step. So It's just a constant exercise in tuning out that noise and saying, okay, what's right for those people? You know, they're sure that they want to take this step now, but I'm not yet. And that's okay. I wanted Zach to propose so badly. We'd been dating for eight years or something. And we would get in these huge fights because I would be like, if you loved me, we would be engaged. And I needed that outside affirmation that our relationship was valid in the public eye. And it's so funny looking back now because I wish we had gotten married later. I really regret getting married when we got married because our friends have changed a lot. There's so many people that I wish were at the wedding. I'm not afraid of committing to him. I'm afraid of committing to everyone that we invite. Some of the people who are there are no longer in our life, which is such an interesting trip to look back on. But it's more so we have all of these lifelong, like our middle of the night besties who were not at our wedding. Mm -hmm. And that devastates me. Also, my style has gotten so much better. (laughs) You would have picked a different dress. I would have done my hair differently. I didn't understand how to do makeup. We didn't know. Nobody told us. Perhaps you should get Zach's suit tailored. Yeah. So (laughs) he looks back at the photos and he's like, that suit doesn't fit you as well as it could. We were just baby grownups and Mm -hmm. we didn't have the life experience to make choices that I feel like would represent us more as adults. And it's so interesting looking back because if I could go back to my 29-year-old self, I'd be like, the insecurity is about whether he loves you enough. You need to address that at its root 
and not be trying to band-aid it with a wedding. Yeah, for sure. I remind myself a lot. You can't have everything in life. We want to have everything, but you can't have every single thing. So like my friends who are married and have a couple of kids already and they bought a house, that aspect of their life seems so together. There are certain things that I've had the freedom to do that they don't. And neither one is right or wrong, but just being able to see that it's easy to get caught up in I'm behind or I'm not as far along as you, but really I am further along in different ways. And then also you see empty nesters who are, let's say, in their mid-50s and all their kids have graduated and rediscovering what it means to be a human being. There is something kind of romantic about that happening later. You know, like we have time. We have more time. At Golden I, Bachelor. The Golden Bachelor. <laughs> oh, I'm loving that this season. But yeah, I mean, it's easy to be like, this needs to happen now, but it doesn't. Life is so long and there is something kind of beautiful about experiencing things at your own pace. Yeah. Just on the not living together thing, because you guys do live together and you love it and it's fun. And we have lived together and we loved it and it was fun. But I have a role model of mine, Dr. Helen Fisher, and she did all the science behind the matching technology of Match.com. She's an anthropologist. She's amazing. She has had long-term partners her entire life. She has these really, really great relationships. I believe she's in her 70s now. And she always talks about how it just ignites when they are together. That separate time really like makes you miss the other person. It also gives you your time to recharge and be yourself. And assuming you could be yourself in front of them too. But then when you just get together, it's like, oh my God, this is even more special. On the days that he's like, are you coming over tonight? We're stoked. It's just such a powerful reminder that the shoulds are assuming there is one universal correct life that we should all be living. And when you actually think about that, it's so obviously not true. We don't think we should all literally be doing the exact same thing every single day for our entire lives. But that's what the shoulds assume, that there is one ideal life and we should all be aspiring towards that. And that example yeah. shows so strongly that that's completely not true. And everyone is different. And if they weren't different, life would be so boring. But there are certain things that you can eat that will agree with my stomach and won't agree with Emily's stomach. It's the same thing with like finding a relationship structure that works for you. Some people love monogamy. Some people, that is never going to work for them. And that's okay. And that's why variety is the spice of life. Okay, listener question. What do you do when you feel like you are progressing in life and your partner is remaining the same? It feels like we're starting to grow apart. Does this mean our relationship has to end or can we continue on in this new stage? It's a tough question. I have never felt in my relationship like we were growing apart. At least I haven't felt that yet. I have many, many years to feel that. But there was a time when I felt like he was more stagnant because he was doing a job that he didn't want to be doing forever, didn't really know where he was going with his life and was really down on himself for not achieving certain things by our age. And I think the only thing that you can do is be supportive. The only thing that you can do is remind them that they can do things. Because I know what that's like also to be in the place of like, I've been trying for many years. I've been wasting time or I wasted my 20s. I should have been doing this. And we were talking about this on the episode of our podcast that you appeared on. Part of faking it till you make it is like telling yourself that 
you can attempt to do things and it's okay if it doesn't work out, but you just need to try. You just need to throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. So when he was feeling stagnant and not knowing what he wanted to do with his life and I was reaching like a point of success in my career that I had always wanted and some security that I hadn't had up to that point, it seemed like we were in different stages and I was just supportive and I just said, whatever you want to do, just go for it. And then eventually he did get on track and now he's in school and hopefully will have a career that he likes. But for some people that takes a little longer and that doesn't mean that you can't be together. I think you can be supportive. Like you're going to be down at certain points and they're going to be up or vice versa. You're not always going to be exactly on the same page. I want to hear your take, Remy, on the listener question, but I got a ton of questions about how to support a partner that wasn't working a job that they liked or didn't feel like they were progressing in life the way that they wanted. So when you say you can be supportive, I would love to know as specifically as possible what that looks like. Yeah. So it was actually hard because he doesn't like to talk about it. Or at the time, he didn't want to talk about it because I think it was like a little bit embarrassing. He went to an Ivy League school. A lot of people that he graduated with went directly into law school or business school or starting their own companies. And then a few years later, sold them for millions of dollars. Like the disparity was so big to him. And it wasn't until we were together for a few years that I started really getting to the root of what that was and him at the end of the day, just not having very high self-esteem and just thinking like, well, I've I've already wasted my 20s. I'm already not on the same page as my friends. I'm never going to get there. And I think I just had the experience of being in comedy, being in entertainment, being in podcasting, that my timeline was never the same as anyone else's, that I was able to reassure him like, no, A, you're not old. You're literally 30. You have so much time, you have so much opportunity to grow, but also there's an advantage to doing things later. Kind of like what I was saying before, like there's an advantage to taking things slower, doing things later. You don't have to have everything set up. You actually have a major advantage not going at everybody else's pace. I just did my best to remind him of that. And I think it sunk in. I think so, because he's at a place right now where he feels happier and more confident than ever before. And I don't know that all to me, but <laughs> a lot of it. My favorite health hacks are the ones that have the biggest payoffs for the smallest amounts of effort. And this is such a good one. When you are drinking your tea or coffee in the morning, just add one packet or scoop of Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides. I definitely was a bit of a collagen skeptic until I had dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bowe on the podcast. You can scroll back to her Ask the Doctor episode. She said it is not a myth. There is research to support how great collagen is for your skin. And then, of course, I did my own deep dive, and I was so impressed with the known benefits for things like your skin, your hair, and your joint health. Studies show that collagen can help improve your skin's hydration, which is something that I am especially looking for during this time of year when everything just feels a little bit drier. Zach likes the marine collagen, and then I like the grass-fed beef collagen, but both are incredibly well-sourced and certified by third parties, which is the number one thing that I look for. And since I've started incorporating collagen into my everyday routine, I have noticed strong and healthy nails, and my hair feels thicker and fuller, which we love, and Zach's knees are feeling so good despite all of the time that he is spending running. 
One of my favorite things about the Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides is that I cannot taste them at all, and they dissolve so well in hot and cold beverages. Not all collagen can dissolve in cold beverages, and some days you just want an iced tea. To try out Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Packets or their bigger tubs, use code LizMoody for 25% off. Yes, 25% off. That is a huge discount off of your first purchase at greatlakeswellness.com. That is Liz Moody for 25% off at greatlakeswellness.com. Money was such a source of anxiety for me for a long time. I'm always talking about building good, healthy habits, but I didn't have any when it came to financial wellness. Once I started getting educated about my money, I began to feel empowered about it. And pretty soon I was like, how did I let this cause me so much anxiety for so long? If you are struggling just like I was, you need to check out YNAB. YNAB is an app that teaches a set of simple money habits to help you spend, save, and give without guilt or second-guessing. It's one of the apps that experts I talk to recommend over and over because it's grounded in techniques that you won't see anywhere else that actually work. You start off by learning four simple core habits that are actually genius and have completely changed the way that I think about money. And then it guides you through saving so you are never caught off guard by a surprise expense again, so you feel safe and secure with money. But maybe more importantly, it also helps you fit the things that you love into your spending plan so that you know you have the money for that bachelorette party or that weekend getaway that you've been dreaming of. Also, and I love this, you can add up to six users to one account. So if you manage money as roommates or with your partner, it has got you covered. It has incredibly high ratings on all platforms and has become a huge cult hit because it's helped millions of people actually build the financial life of their dreams, even people who truly thought it was impossible. Check out YNAB and learn the habits with a one-month free trial, no credit card required, at www.yabb.com ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You'll get a month completely free and be able to see for yourself what a big difference it makes. I promise you're going to get back way more than you spend. That's www.ynab.com slash Liz Moody. It's so interesting that you say it's a self-esteem issue at the end of the day too, because I think sometimes we think we're being really helpful when we're being like, oh, you're better than this job. Let me help you find a new job. But a lot of the things we're doing that we perceive as helpful are actually degrading yeah. that person's sense of independence, resilience, self-worth, self-esteem. And what we should actually be doing is empowering them to in make the those other, choices yeah. and see those things in their own lives, but building up the self-esteem so that they can see things that way. Yeah. I was just going to say too, and reminding them sometimes like, Jobs are tough and it is a job. And the thing is, you are not your job. And reminding them that they have so many other great qualities and listen, that's what you're doing right now to make money. And if you continue to do this the rest of your life, that's okay too because it's not who you are. But if you want to do something else, you have room to grow because I love you as a human. Yes. Yes, that their worth isn't reliant on this outside thing. Fundamentally, at the end of the day, whatever you are doing to build your partner's sense of inherent worth and value is going to translate to their external situation. And far more than trying to control or nag or take care of their external situation in mm -hmm. any way. And if somebody's feeling, oh, I'm really undervalued at work, 
that really sucks. You can say to them, that really sucks, not fuck that company. They don't know how good they have it because then that person's going to be at work just festering, being like, oh my God, they don't know how good they have it with me. And Instead, it's just like, you know what? That is really hard, but you are worthy and don't let this tie into how you view yourself as a whole person. Absolutely. Okay. Remy, progressing in life, partner remaining the same. Do you have advice on that? Yeah. So Ben and I both do stand-up comedy. And so we have natural ebbs and flows where I am killing it and he is not killing it or he is murdering and I haven't gotten a gig in weeks, you know, whatever. And so we have to do this give and take all the time and try to not get jealous of each other if one of them is doing better and the other isn't. But then it's that same thing of, okay, well, I might be doing better in my career this week, but he's doing really great in all of the other aspects of our life. You know, he's really keeping it together. He's teaching me how to cook. We are cleaning the house together, like doing other things that are value to our relationship that aren't just work-based. That being said, you have to assess what kind of rut this person is if it's just work, if it is a depression, if it is a bunch of different things. If you are growing apart in your beliefs, that's a little different than somebody's lagging. Those are very different conversations that need to be had. We have had disparate beliefs before where I've been like, oh my God, I can't be with somebody who thinks this way. And then we have had the conversations that iron them out that are like, this is why this is so important to me. And he's like, I understand that I need to understand this more if I'm going to stay with you, not everything is going to be perfect. But if everything is bad, you can also allow yourself to let the relationship go. I was going to ask, how do you know when it's time to pull the plug? When there are no redeeming qualities anymore or when you don't feel like your best self around that person anymore. I don't want to say they're not inspiring because you should inspire yourself. but there are things that they're making you a worse version of yourself. And I wouldn't say that that applies to depression or anything because you stick with your person through that. There are many, many deep depressions that I've had that he's stuck with me through that I'm like, oh my God, you don't deserve this, you know? But I'm not making him a depressed person by being depressed. He still has his own joie de vivre. He really can still maintain that and hold space for me. But then there are other things that I think if they are a suck on your time and your money and they're separating you from your friends and you don't know who you are anymore as a person, that doesn't sound like a fulfilling relationship at all. It's interesting about the mental health stuff because that's a conversation Zach and I have had a lot. My parents got divorced because of a traumatic accident and the ensuing effects of that traumatic accident. And what was that? My mom was thrown off of a horse and oh. hit her head. And she's in a coma for a long uh -huh. time. And it had these ripple effects on everybody involved's yeah. life. There's a lot of different thoughts about what specifically happened from both sides. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, they broke up and they divorced because of this accident. And when I suffered from anxiety, it was years probably that I wasn't a very good partner mm -hmm. to Zach. 
And so a conversation we've had forever is what do we owe to our partners? When do you stay? And when do you go? If I had Mm -hmm. been agoraphobic and bedbound for five years, did he owe me to stay? If I'd been bedbound for 10 years, did he owe me to stay? I don't have any good answers for that. But it's uh, interesting that you said if you have a mental health thing, if you have depression, like that you still stay through that. I mean, I've worried about that because I've seen an example of it as well, where somebody has blamed the other person being like, well, why would I want to be with them? They had so much depression and it was impossible to be around. And that gave me anxiety about just being in a relationship at all, because I was like, I know I suffer with these things. Am I deserving of someone? And it is really nice for somebody to go, you're not just your depression. Like, yes, you can't get up, but you're still really funny and you're still really cute. And I still would rather watch all of my TV shows with you than somebody else. Like that feels good and it makes you feel safe. There have been times where like Ben was going through a surgery where we couldn't be intimate for a year. Some people would say, oh, I'd be out. No. I watched the new Real Housewives of New York. I was literally about to bring that up. They have a conversation on the show where there's a couple and they have, I think, one-year-old twins. Yeah. And they haven't had sex in a year and a half. And it's a story, a very big storyline on the show. And two other couples on the show go out to dinner. I've never been into Real Housewives before, but this- No, this season is good. I love it. But two other couples go out and they say, what would you do if your partner didn't have sex with you for a year and a half? And one of the couples- says, I would be having sex with other people. And then the Mm -hmm. other couple says, we wouldn't be in a relationship anymore. Like for both couples, it was completely a deal breaker in some way or another. It's like, first of all, both of those women are the mothers of those men's children. Besides children, but is that all that that person affords you? Because I know in that year, yeah, it was hard, but I wasn't in my orgasm drought, so I would just jack off and he'd be next to me and hug me and we would still kiss and we could still, you know, be close. And I still liked hanging out with him because I like him. It's interesting. I do think sex is an important part of a relationship. And I do think that if you are not having sex with your partner regularly, you're missing out on intimacy and bonding and all of these things you're building into a relationship. But I do think there are all of these other elements of relationships too. Like Jessel, and she's the one who didn't have sex for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And her husband, she says all the time they're best friends. And I do think they should try to have sex. You know what I mean? Which I think they they actually did. They did. Yeah. Yeah, Although some other people didn't believe them. They were like, remember? Like, I thought she was lying. (laughs) Literally. Literally, what do you want? You want the condom? You want like a video (laughs) happening. I want evidence. Well, this actually makes me think of the whole Scandaval thing. So, A big way that Tom Sandoval justified cheating on Ariana was that she wasn't having sex with him. And she was depressed. Well, yes, and she was depressed, but she said something that really resonated with me, which is like, you're not giving me any quality time. Like, we Mm -hmm. don't spend quality time together. Mm -hmm. So his only focus was she's not having sex with me. We're not having sex. What do you expect? Like, I'm obviously going to go seek it elsewhere. And she's saying, how can I have sex with someone who doesn't spend time with me, who feels like a stranger to me. So it's like the problems go deeper than the sex. Like, obviously, what would be a deal breaker for one person? Like, it depends on the reason why. I just also thought it was so interesting that neither of those husbands was like, I would have a conversation with her. Yes. And I would ask her, 
why aren't we as intimate as we used to be? Are you okay? Is there anything that I can do? To that point, too, I'm like, Jessel just gave birth to twins. twins. Why is it completely on her to solve this dynamic in their relationship? I know. Yeah, that kind of bugs me that somebody would be so quick to be like, yeah, that's a deal breaker. But like, what is the reason? Like, have you tried to get down to the bottom of it? Or are you just saying, you're not giving me sex. I need sex. Bye-bye. Again, that's what he requires, what he needs. Oh, you're not giving me sex. No, why aren't we having sex? Are you not horny anymore? Am I giving you the ick? Are there things that we can work on together? Or do you feel that this relationship is over? Because Sai's husband was like, that would mean that the relationship was over. Really? You're throwing in the towel without having a conversation? That feels very bizarre. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's do, I'm not sure why, but I almost feel embarrassed or awkward when I want to have sex with my partner of more than 10 years. It's like it's a burden and I'm asking for a favor. We've both acknowledged it's a thing holding us back. What can I slash we, we love the I slash we, do to change that mindset and get back to the frequent, passionate, early relationship sex? Oh, geez. Well, I guess figuring out why it feels like a burden. Is that person responding in a way that makes it seem like it's a burden? Because I wouldn't want to have sex with somebody if I felt like I was burdening them either. I think that's so normal. But again, it's like what's going on underneath this that we can talk about and get to the bottom of. Yeah. Or also, I think a lot of people, it feels like a burden just because time is so limited in life. And especially when you've been living with a person for a long time and you're both going to work and you're trying to maintain your relationships with other people, like friendships and stuff, it would be like, oh, okay. And now let's do sex. Because I think what feels so burdensome about it is that it seems like it is this ever important part of relationships that if you're not having it, it means you're not having a relationship anymore, which we've pretty much covered. But it does feel like that when the errands and the size of the world are going, why aren't you having sex? Why aren't you having sex? And you think that sex is the only thing that makes your relationship worthy of being called a romantic relationship, you might feel, oh my God, okay, we have to do this. Because if we're not, and I've been there before where I'm like, oh my God, it's been like two weeks. Like we yeah. have to have sex because otherwise we're just ships passing in the night and but we're just roommates. also you feel better after? Like I do oh find my it God, interesting yes. that I have to hype myself up for sex sometimes. Yes. That's great. But sometimes I have to hype myself up, but then universally afterward, I'm like, I'm happy I did. It's like a workout almost. Kind of like a workout. Where you're like, you never regret a workout. I've never regretted Mm -hmm. a time that I've had sex with Zach. But sometimes I forget that I'll never regret it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's like the hardest part of the workout is the time before that you're like, all right, I got to put on my clothes and I need to (laughs) take off the clothes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like in reverse. I don't know if this is a man or a woman writing in or... It doesn't matter. But if you're a woman, I think there is also this aspect that I've kind of gotten in tune with in the past couple of years, which is your cycle has a lot to do with when you're horny, like when you want to have sex. There are certain weeks out of the month that I just don't care about sex at all. And then the ovulation part of my cycle, it's like I'm going crazy. Like I could have sex three times in one day. And I think getting comfortable with like, okay, maybe we don't 
do it for a week and a half and that's okay. That's kind of hot waiting until you really, really want it. Ian Kerner, who wrote She Comes First, talks about this, that there is an immediate desire and then there's responsive desire. So some people are just raring to go where the other people need to be warmed up a bit. Yeah. And I think this could be why this person feels like it's a chore because maybe they are initiating all the time because they're hornier more often. They want it more often. And it's not saying that the other person doesn't. It's just that they have a more responsive desire where if you broach the subject, give them a little back rub or you give them a little tug from behind, you know, whatever it is, they may go, oh, oh, yeah. Ben and I have the same thing where I'm usually the initiator. For a long time, I got in my head about it because I was like, if he's not initiating, he doesn't want it. And it's like, no, he's just a more responsive person, whereas I'm more active. That's such a good point. And I also think that in the same way, I know that the notions of love languages is really disputed, but I think it's helpful to acknowledge that there's different ways that we show and receive love. And the more that we communicate those, it's really, really helpful. And I think that's the same with initiation. My husband and I have had to have conversations of this is what I like initiation to look like. And more importantly, this is what doesn't do it for me when you come up to me and touch me this way, when you say the type of thing, when it's after a meal, that's a big one for oh my me. God. Like, yeah. If I'm going to have sex, it's going to be before dinner. Yeah, not I think after. a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. And I think that dates need to be flipped as a result of I that. I agree. A hundred percent. But having that conversation of what does initiation look like for me because otherwise your partner can always feel like or you can always feel like I'm initiating constantly and I'm being met with a brick wall and Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're initiating in a way that's not doing it for your partner. Yeah. I mean, I have an ex that I would initiate with him and he wasn't responsive at all. And one day I had to say to him, is there something I can do that would make you more into me? And this was the worst response he could have said was P90X. He wanted me to physically look better and work out more. And he just said, I'm not attracted to you. You know, break up. Yes, of course. Nothing baffles me more than somebody being in a relationship where they're actively unattracted to the person. It's just something that I don't understand at all. Yeah. Well, don't get it. And then I'm like, why are you here then? Right. What are you trying to get out of me? Well, and again, I think attraction, there's no universal there either, just as there's no universal life we all want. We're all attracted to different people. So I have this thing called match theory, which is about like you should be yourself most wholly as early and often as possible because in life we're not trying to impress people. We're trying to find our matches, whether it's in friendship or relationships or careers or anything like that. And so I'm like, if you aren't attracted to this person. Why are you not out there trying to find somebody that you are attracted to? Because we're not all universally attracted to one thing. I think we are out of time. No. (laughs) (laughs) Can you guys tell us a little bit about where people can find you? Yeah. You can find me at Lubination on social media. I have multiple podcasts, including the podcast that I host with Remy called Diet Starts Tomorrow. And you can follow Diet Starts Tomorrow at Diet Starts Tomorrow. Yep. You can find me at Remy Casimir, also at Diet Starts Tomorrow and How Come Podcast. And it is spelled the way you think. (laughs) (laughs) The fun way. Thank you guys so much. You guys give such good advice. And I love this conversation. We loved being on this podcast. You are the best. Let's be real. I love any episode where I get to talk about my absolute obsession with the Real Housewives of New York. 
It was so chatty. They gave so much good advice. And I just love having open discussions about these things that are so often considered taboo. The more open we are with cutting through the fantasy bullshit, the stuff that's fed to us in movies and TV and actually discussing the realities of sex, the more it benefits all of us. So please share this episode with a friend, send them a link, use it as a conversation starter, use it to get honest and real about your own sex life. You might be surprised what you find and sharing the podcast is 100% the best way to support it. So thank you from me for doing that. If someone shared a link with you and you are new to the podcast, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. Make sure that you are following on whatever platform you like to listen on. All you have to do is go to the main podcast page. That's going to be the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes. And you'll see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. That way you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will appear right in your feed every single Wednesday, starting with this Wednesday. And you do not want to miss out because we have some very exciting ones coming up, like a deep dive into insomnia and sleep science and an episode solving all of your relationship problems with a world-renowned psychologist. And do not forget to go to 100waystochangeyourlife.com to snag a copy of my new book. That is 100waystochangeyourlife.com. Okay, I love you and I will see you on Wednesday for the next episode of the Liz Moody Podcast. When Zach and I started Healthy Convo Co., we needed to find the easiest way to get conversation cards from our warehouse onto our website and into your hands. I thought it was going to be the hardest part of starting a business, but it wound up being one of the easiest because we just used Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling gorgeous ceramics to sip morning tea from or beautiful journals to write prompts from the we're all in this together deck in, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I know as a consumer, I'm way more likely to buy when a website has Shopify. It has all of my information saved, so checkout becomes a one-click situation even on small business sites, which makes me so happy because I love shopping small. But it's not just small. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Liz M, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Liz M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Liz M.